Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. Uh, We want to talk today about a topic that I think you'll find interesting, uh, I, I would say fun. Fun? And inspiring. Inspiring. That's a better word. So, in other words, you're going to love today's show. And the nice thing about when we do topics like this is we look for something that that more relates to more basic things than specifically your finances or specifically your health or specifically whether you're going to relocate or sell real estate. There's so many practical issues. But, but sometimes we bring guests on who kind of ad- are intended to address what is your perspective or your mentality? What should it be as you face these tough calls mm-hmm. that, that we all face, these important calls that we all face, you know, in the last third of our lives? So this guest today is somebody who has a unique perspective on that, having been inspired by a very uh, uh, challenging diagnosis. So this is these is what you call a teaser in our industry, right? Very good teaser. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, I'll turn to Jill to do a better introduction, and then we'll jump in. We have all the way from London, England, George Jurgen. He is an author, a mindset mentor, and George, we are so happy to have you with us today. I know we're going to cover a lot of topics. I want to start off with going back to when you were fifty-two. And you were given six months to live and and how going through that trial in your life really became a turning point for you. Well, um, hi, Jill. Hi, Joe. Great to be on your show. Um, To answer your question, Jill, uh, the age of 52, this was back in 2007. um, I had gone in for, um, well, even before that, there were three unrelated events that came together to, to, to make a perfect storm. Um, We were moving homes. Um, My father-in-law was, um, I had a stroke and died a week later. And I was diagnosed with a bone tumor and given six months to live. So that was like a, one of these surreal moments when Mm -hmm. you can imagine these things coming together. And um, that kind of changed the course of my life. But to specifically talk about the illness I'd gone in for a colonoscopy and there was an MRI done. And the nurse came to me and said, "Um, did we do the MRI scan for your pelvis? And I went, no. Mm. (laughs) And I realized something was, was, was awry, but I didn't make a big deal out of it. And then the doctor came out and said, look, um, uh, the, the colon looks fine. There's no problem there, but we found something and we'd like you to, come in tomorrow morning and see the oncologist. I knew immediately, obviously, you know, something serious is here. So they, the they, next... w- they didn't disclose much about it at that point. No, no. So because, you spend um, the next 24 hours thinking. Well, That had yeah. to be agony. Well, it was. Um, but I was sort of, um, I'm an upbeat kind of guy. <laughs> so I was trying to put a, a good spin on it. But the next day I went in with my wife and... Um, he said, we found a very large tumor the size of a large eggplant sitting on your pelvis. Wow. And he said, "That's a it's a, it's a bone tumor. And he said that 
generally bone tumors are in 98% of cases secondary cancer, which means it's spread around your body. Um, so that's 98%, right? And he said, so, you know, you've probably got about six months to live because we can't do anything. However, he said, we're going to have to take, so we're, we're going to have to undergo um, some tests, which will take a couple of weeks so that we can confirm our diagnosis. So um, we kind of, uh, my wife was crying. Uh, we we went out and um, I was having an out-of-body experience. I was, you know, I was thinking, this, is, this isn't happening to me. <laughs> but well, let this me is, stop you. So the way that sure. he's, the way he made this presentation though, I mean, I assume it went down to where he he tells you about this, and then you're the one asking, well, what implications does this have for longevity? Or does he just put it all on the table in that sort of frank manner? Oh, it was all frank. It was all up front. Um, There was no quibbling. Wow. Uh, There was no massaging (laughs) of the information. Oh, no, no, no. It was straight out. Uh, You know, you're looking at six months. But yeah, then he qualified man. it by saying, because that's in 98% of cases, right? And so for for three weeks, um, you know, I was under the sword of Damocles. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. Um, I knew I was kind of facing certain death. But what was surprising for me was that I thought I would be really scared of death. I mean, right? That's what you'd think. Yeah, yeah sure. But I wasn't. But I wasn't, which was strange. Um, I have my reasons as to why it might have been that way. But what was really eating me up was that um, I wasn't going to be around for my two teenage daughters. That was killing me. But in any event, for three weeks, um, I was watching every sunrise that was coming up in London, which isn't every day, Hmm. um, and wondering how many of those I was going to see. And three weeks down, um, we get a phone call from the doctor saying, you know, please come in. We've got some results for you. So uh, we went in and he said, we've got good news and bad news for you. Um, the good news is that you belong to the 2% club. Your bone tumor is benign. It's not cancerous, which means it's it's localized in the pelvis area. But it's it's large and it's aggressive and it's growing. So we need to remove it, which means two surgeries and potentially maybe a hip replacement, blah, blah, blah. So he said, you're looking at six months being out of commission. You won't be able to walk. You have to learn to walk again and stuff like that. So that for me was a a death sentence commuted down to six months. So that was like a a big Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't even characterize that under the circumstances (laughs) as good news and bad news. I would characterize that as good news. And totally, yeah, I agree. With some unpleasant stuff required. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so during that period of time, um, incidentally, did your daughters know? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So, so during that three week period, so uh, were you reflective during that time about? um, I mean, did you talk and plan the for your possible demise or planning for the worst? Well, in during the three weeks during the three week period. Well, actually, no. And I know it's strange, but because we were moving homes, so we had to unpack and, sorry, pack and unpack. So it was a kind of a roller coaster. It was one thing after another. And so I didn't really have time to think about um, uh, what I was going to do. But I I knew that, you know, if if it was just going to be six months, then I knew I had to put my estate in order, put everything in order. 
And then I was probably going to go for a long holiday. <laughs> I mean, what else do you do? Sure. I have no idea. But yeah. I was probably going to milk it for what I could. So you don't have, I assume, a a religious faith that would have played a role at this stage. You know, a, you don't, you didn't regularly attend a church or a synagogue or anything like that. Well, actually, no, I did. Um, I was raised a Catholic, so um, that had a, a, a huge impact in terms of. I wonder if maybe that's part of the reason why I wasn't afraid. I don't know. Exercising um, your faith? Yeah, that definitely did help me through. No question mm-hmm. about it. And in, in a sense, I have more faith now because I'm living on bonus time. Right. <clears throat> so I have, you know, I have what the um, uh, Benedictines would say, you know, the the, uh, the the idea of death on a daily basis in front of me. And that makes me live life, in my view, uh, in a far richer way, because I I, I want to I milk it for what I can. I'm not thinking about tomorrow that may not come. And and you know uh, a a famous I guess a incident where somebody who the great writer Dostoevsky he was a relatively young man. And he was sentenced to death as a revolutionary under the czar. This would have been, I don't know, I'm guessing the 1880s. Anyway, so he was could have been before that. But so he was he was given this death sentence, and the czar almost cruelly, I think, is what historians believe that actually the decision had been made beforehand that perhaps they weren't going to execute them. But I don't know that anyway. So he's he's actually lined up with several others in front of a firing squad. Right. And 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 then at the last moment this reprieve arrives. So supposedly that had a life-changing impact on Dostoevsky. He wrote about it. It it some uh, argue that you can see this hovering in many of the things he wrote, which is about these deep questions and and the importance of thinking differently about your life and and perhaps not clinging on quite so so desperately. And now he was a Greek Orthodox by faith, or Russian Orthodox. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he would be Russian Orthodox by, right. by faith. But uh, it was transformative. Is that too strong a word to use, or how, how did it impact you going through this experience? Oh, I think it completely changes your life. It completely changes your perspective. It changes how... Um, just, just to give you an example, a lot of the things that I thought were important before this experience turned out to be a complete waste of time. So what happens is a lot of the, for example, what people think. I used to put a lot of um, a lot of importance on, you know, what people think about me, you know, in business, friends, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, all that drops off because what they really think is none of my business, and frankly, it shouldn't change the direction of what I want to do. So that's my position It shouldn't now. define who you are. It shouldn't define who you are, and it shouldn't define what you want to do, and how you want to do it. So, you know, in retirement, for example, a lot of people uh, whose sandbox is getting smaller and smaller, um, and that's because income has stopped coming in. So that the the savings they have is limited, and they've got to be careful not to spend too much. This is what I mean about the sandbox gets smaller and smaller, yeah. which means their experiences get smaller and smaller. And we know that in life, you're either growing or dying. There's no retiring. So if you're not growing, you're dying. 
And you've got another one third of your life left to go, another 25, 30 years. Why would you put yourself in that position? We have one precious life. We've got to use it. And, you know, mm. and, and so with the death, you know, and I think this is the beauty is that in our society, we don't talk about death. Death is a taboo subject. Right. Yeah, that's it's definitely a taboo true. subject socially, uh, politically, in every conceivable way. And so we're sanitized. We don't talk about it. And by doing that, we we take away the richness of life. But when you have death on, a, a, you know, I wouldn't say top of mind, but if you have death, if you get up every morning being grateful that you've got up, you're going to go through that day in a whole different way than if you get up in a sort of a sense of entitlement and, you know, this is going to be another day. You make your coffee, you go through the process. You're not really enjoying anything. Yeah. And you're th- and you're thinking about problems and worries and right. Well, that's not a way to live. And but you talk seems- about that too, about having the spirit of gratitude, of of thankfulness. But but yeah. let, let me insert here though that what you described sure. though is really the way the ninety percent grab your own percentage eighty. Some would say ninety five percent of the people live. I mean, most of the people around us. That describes me on certain days, not all the time, but I, that that scene where you get up, think, oh, kind of schlepping, thinking, oh, I need to do this, mm-hmm. I need to do that. Uh, how many mornings have we all gotten up with right. that? And but it seems to describe what we think of, of the modern world to some extent. Very true. I think that's part of the problem. I think that's part of the problem in our politics. You know, all the um, the cat fighting, no compromise. It's win-win, we win, you lose. That's a very ugly place to be. So tell me then, um, describe how this sort of was implemented or the sort of changes you made in your life emerging from this. This And most of this rethink, this transition took place over a period of, during this 21-day period primarily. Mm-hmm. So tell me then what changes you you decide to make in your life okay not knowing what i was going to do all i knew is i didn't want to live the way i did before i i couldn't go back and live the way i did once you know something you can't go back you can't unknow it um so that changes the way you look at stuff and and life and so i decided the first thing to do was to spend time with myself and what I wanted to do was to look at my life, see what changes needed to be made. Um, during the six-month recuperation, I studied philosophy. I did, um, I think it was an hour a day, and I studied from one of the great courses. Um, it was wonderful. It was very refreshing. I'd do my physio. So I was kind of learning to start again. Uh, on the back of that, I ended up um, having to deal with my father-in-law's litigation, uh, sorry, my father-in-law's estate, which ended up with me having to fund the litigation, which I thought would take 12 to 18 months. It ended up taking 15 years. That has to be uh, a record. It, it, well, I, I, you know, I say that to people, but I've checked it out in the Guinness Book of Records. There are three other people who who, who beat me to that. And one <laughs> of them and one of them is uh, an ongoing case, apparently still with the uh, descendants of Christopher Columbus. So I'm fighting them, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Not fighting them. But we digress. Let me come back to your question about what I did. 
a friend of mine had talked to me about um, doing a 30-day silent retreat. And I thought, that's exactly what I need. I needed to get out of my normal environment, away from my family, away from business, away from this litigation. And it was up in North Wales, in the mountainous mountains of North Wales. I went there for 30 days, silent retreat, no emails, no TV, no books, nothing. Nothing but the Bible. That's all there was. And I had a spiritual director who saw me for 30 minutes a day, of which half the time was to discuss what happened the day before, and the other half was on what we had to do the next day. In that 30 days, um, I did an audit on my life. And one of the ways that I did it, which there are different ways of doing it, but the way I did it was to, to go back to the to all the houses that I'd lived in from the get-go, as far as I could remember, and to look for events that were joyful and events that were not so joyful. This is a psychological trip, not a physical trip. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Go no, ahead. No, psychological. Well, I, I would actually say psychological, spiritual, and then physical. Yeah. Uh, because the it was it was physically exerting. But um, in any event, the result of doing an audit on my on my book, writing the stories of hap- what happened, resulted in I, I was able to distill twelve stories out of that. And um, two years later, it ended up being um, in my book called "Spirit of Gratitude: Crises Are Opportunities." And the reason for that is, is because when I was writing these stories and going back and reflecting on them, what I discovered was that all the new opportunities that opened up in my life could not have happened without the preceding crisis. Yeah. I believe that. Mm -hmm. In other words, we need to be grateful even for the crises in our lives. And that's when I went in to study mindset um, with Bob Proctor in Canada and was with him for 18 months. I studied under him. Um, and, and then I created my own business. And I looked and said, who can I serve? Right? It's not about me anymore. Who can I serve? And my marketing guy said, boomers, that's your market. You're a boomer. Serve your people. Serve your tribe. And so I said, that's fantastic. I've got the mindset. I've got the boomers. Put them together. And you have a whole new business that's not even around. So, and the message is that retirement, if it means stopping and sitting down and watching a lot of TV and playing some golf and fishing is not a desirable thing. It's not a healthy thing, but even more so, it's not a desirable thing. I, I, I'd go as far as to say that it's toxic. Mm-hmm. It's toxic and people don't realize it. And the reason it's toxic is because when we go to war, the first casualty is the truth because of propaganda, right? Mm. The first casualty in retirement is your identity. And people don't know that. They're just walking in a minefield, totally unaware. Their identity is lost. When you leave your job, your work is part of your identity. It's part of who you are. And when you leave your job, your armor comes off. As Brene Brown would say, your armor comes off and you become vulnerable now. And when you become vulnerable, right, and you, you, you're losing your identity because you don't know who you are, it impacts on your family, your relationship with your spouse, with your children, with your friends, everybody. But ultimately, and most importantly, with yourself. So 
Loss of identity means loss of self-esteem. It means loss of self-worth, which impacts on your confidence. Yeah. And then, and then when it impacts on your confidence, this shame comes in. When shame enters, right? You isolate. You don't want to go out anymore. And depression sets in. And there's yeah. a whole host of stuff that comes in: loneliness, depression, despair. And then you're tiptoeing to death, and there's no coming back. Boom. And, and throughout the process, you're accelerating whatever degeneration would have otherwise occurred. I mean, right. you're getting older, and that's Correct. an inevitability. But I'm convinced that that process is accelerated when you metaphorically or literally sit down. But, you know, I, I want to to dwell on this analogy of a sandbox. Sure. I, I think the fact that that you have people who, who – um, they decide to circumscribe their lives before, let's assume they'd been a professional. And this is a common thing in the U.S. And I don't know what form it takes in the U.K., but in the U.S. it might take the form. It's local retirement, a lot of local retirement where people retire and stay where they are. But there are a lot of people in the U.S. who retire and move south or they move to right. Arizona, west. Uh, mm-hmm. And and their, their life is dedicated to, they would say, recreation. Uh, but... But they might say in defense of themselves that, no, I'm still – I'm engaged in doing what I enjoy, and uh, they they continue perhaps to be active in whatever religious activities are charitable. Maybe it's a secular charitable activity. Uh, so they, they feel like they're useful. And I would argue that as long as – and I think that you might agree with me that as long as they're – challenged and engaged in a mission, maybe that's what's important. But but the reality is it's very hard to have those components when you have kind of come to a stop. And I don't the, – the point you were making about how you give up your identity, people who are watching this, who've done that, I think they're shaking their heads thinking, yep, yep, I've seen that happen. Right. I mean, you're the teacher. You're the lawyer. The your, doctor, the nurse. The accountant, yeah. The, and, and people come to you and they regard you with respect because you occupy this position in their lives and in their community. And all of a sudden, uh, when you quit being that person, uh, you don't play that same role in other people's lives. And, and, and people, I don't think, are prepared for you know, that sort of change that takes place in, in their importance to others. Uh, can you talk about that? Am I characterizing that fairly? Yeah, no, no, you are. I mean, that is the situation as it is now. Correct. Um, I agree. I think part of the problem is um, that when we retire, we think that it's a linear continuation, and it's not. We, um, when we retire, there's a when we're adolescents and we move into adulthood, there is a very clear. Uh, journey. There's a threshold. When we move from adulthood to elderhood, there is no such um, uh, transition. Um, It's not celebrated. It's not, um, you know, you're not celebrating moving into a whole new dimension, which is what it is, right? Um, And I I compare it to the, um, uh, the caterpillar going into a cocoon, coming out a butterfly. When the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, it turns into caterpillar soup. It's broken down and reformatted to become a butterfly. It's a, it's a painful transition. And retirement 
to redefine yourself is a painful transition because you have to have an ego death. Who you were dies. Whether you accept it or not, it's over. So who are you going to be now? Reinventing yourself. Correct. But that journey is the painful bit because while your, your, your old self is dying, your new self is still not identified. You are going through this belly of the whale or this um, desert, or if you like, you're on the high seas. You've um, lost sight of the land that you've just left, but you can't see the new land. And you're going through a lot of metamorphosis and changes in your psyche, in your feelings. Painful, right? Yeah. You're not who you were anymore. The ego dies, but it, it it's re, reborn into something different. So, for example, and doctors are the ones who have the really hardest time, I think. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, yeah. Huge time because they're a demigod while they're practicing. And when they leave, they're ghosts. I mean, that's a huge tumble. Right. Um, a very difficult process, I think, for doctors. Um, I can see but- that. You know, I, at the risk of sounding harsh, they go from, yeah, a demigod captures in the U.S. too. I mean, doctors have always and still are held in great respect. Uh, sure. And it's a very, very elite thing, maybe even more elite in the United States. Um, yes. And all of a sudden, this this person suddenly goes from when he walks down the hall at any at his hospitals yeah. and elsewhere being guarded with great deference to just an old guy. And that's what they are when they arrive, for example, in Naples, where we spend a little bit of time. I mean, you wouldn't know them from the guy standing next to him. And, you know, you, you suspect that all their interactions are based on this perception that he's just a, pardon the phrase, an old guy. And I can see how that would be difficult Oh, to adjust to. Oh, totally. I mean, in a sense, that's why I think you have to have courage to unretire. You can't just drift from where you are to where you want to be. There's a chasm. You have to cross that chasm. And, 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 and that's why courage is so important. So when you talk, Joe, when you're talking about these guys who um, retire, they do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. There's a lot of self-deception that goes into this, right? It's the you know the one-eyed leading the blind. Nobody knows where they're going. Um, they're just following each other, and that's the danger also of being um, uh, stuck in a community because you almost have to because you have to change identity, you have to change what your purpose is. You almost have to change your physical location. Mm-hmm. You have to declutter um, some of the people that no longer serve you. Horrible as that may sound, but if they're not serving you and you're not serving them, what's the point of continuing? You know Mm. what? That's interesting because I've noticed that with myself. The older I get, the more selective I am with friendships. Correct. I think if you're not enriching my life, you know, I I don't think that I want you in my life. And I, I don't mean that to sound unkind. Well, there is an issue. There is an issue about it's uh, kind of uh, being unkind. I think being false to yourself and false to your friends is being more unkind. Right. Than being honest about it. You know, none of us are perfect. Um, We all make mistakes. But I think ultimately, you're not going to be worried about those people on your deathbed. True. On your deathbed, you're going to be asking, you know, 
Did I fulfill my dreams? Did I fulfill what I meant to do? Am I good to go now? And, you know, I think I think that it's worth dwelling on a little further the fact that there is a process and there has to be a transition. And you gave four or five different metaphors for thinking about that. The caterpillar thing is, uh, mm-hmm. is an interesting one because I think it calls upon people to recognize that this condition where you've ceased to be what you were is is one in which you have to be hard at work trying to become something else. And, mm-hmm. and yet it works to call it being at sea or in the desert between two points where yep. if you know you're the whole idea is to get to that other point and if you choose to just stay in the middle then it means that you're much less than what you were before because you couldn't stay what you were before because when no. you because um, for physiological reasons sure. I mean we have we have a lifespan so we can't choose to forever be what we were so we quit being what we were and and then the challenge is to and I hear this as kind of the overarching theme of this discussion uh, of your point is that you have to see this as a period in which you have to decide, you know, what is the next, you know, the the next important stage? What What is it that I become now? And so many people just never go to that next stage. They just stay where they, okay, I've stopped being what I was. And, and now I... They're going to play it safe. Yeah, I enjoy yeah. hanging out and... I go have coffee at, at McDonald's on Tuesday right. morning, and, and and some would justify that, and I, and I'm patient, I guess, with that because they would say, "Look, my goal is to be happy, and I'm happy hanging out, and uh, retirement's been good for me." I mean, it's hard to stand in judgment of that, though you feel like there's something that's wasted there. Not and that there could have their, been so much more. Right, to and, their potential. But but it's hard to stand in judgment of the you must know those people. Of course. They're all around you. Yeah. Um in the millions. My 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 thing is that look, this is how I I approach this whole thing, right? Um this is my mission. This is what I want to be doing. I love what I do. And if I can convince one person a day to change the way they look at their retirement, to change the way they, I'm a successful guy. I've succeeded in my mission. I've succeeded and I'm, I'm being successful in what I do. I enjoy what I do and I've helped somebody. What more can you ask? No, it's a great thing. And, and, and I want to, uh, in the time before we wrap up, I, I want to, for you to give some more examples or to talk a little more about what it might look like once we've made the point, and I think I think you've made the point how important it is to think about your ro- new role, your new identity uh, that you mm-hmm. will assume going forward. So tell me what that often looks like in practical terms. Um, you mentioned it may be important to move from where you are, uh, uh, or maybe the same, I don't know if you meant the same house or the same yeah, location. Yeah. Everybody's different, Joe. Everybody's going to have a different solution to that point. What I'm providing for is the framework, and they can create the blueprint the way they want it. So um, for for me, I think the the, the most important thing is that I think it was Henry Ford who said, the founder of Ford Motor Company said, thinking is the hardest thing to do. That's why so few people engage in it. (laughs) All right? Yeah. There's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, it's not a shallow cliche. No, it is not. Yeah. It is not. You even put off mental work. 
I mean, yeah. it's much easier. True. I, 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 lawyers are guilty of it. And I, every profession's guilty of it, I think, where it's easier to go do an errand than to sit down and do the thoughtful process it takes to think through a difficult problem. But I, anyway, I, I interrupt. Go ahead. No, not at all. But uh, you're absolutely right. But my point is, is that you're not investing time and thinking on somebody else here. You're investing in yourself. You're the best investment there is. Why wouldn't you invest? But unfortunately, humanity um, only changes after a crisis. That's just the way it is. I'm a prime example. I wouldn't be where I am here today if it wasn't for the crises that I went through. So when we have a difficult political climate, difficult economic uh, situation, um, your, your back is to the wall, these are not bad things. They're blessings in disguise. See them for what they are. And this is not new. Uh, prior to the 70 years of consumerism that we had, that's what life was about. That's how people approached life. Um, and so one of the things to, to recognize is that crises are our best friends. Knowing that death is not far away on any day focuses your mind on doing things that are of worthy purpose for yourself and, and valuable to you. Um, so in a sense, I think we're probably going to be hitting some, uh, serious economic trends in the next few years. I suspect there'll be cascading of bad news, uh, on the stock market and investments yeah. because not just of Ukraine, but everything else around that's going on. And I would say to people, don't get depressed. Look for the silver lining. There are opportunities here. You need to change. Have a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. Yeah, and and that and, might mean some of them, for example, will choose to to work and maybe in a different field, perhaps in retirement. That that may be one example of a decision that would be made that would assume a new identity, but it wouldn't necessarily require, would it, that they pursue something for compensation? It could mean some okay. sort of mission. Go ahead. I, I think this idea of not getting compensation is not really on the cards, meaning that you've got to seek compensation. Um, there's no reason not to. But here's the thing. You don't want to work just to supplement income. That mindset alone is wrong. You need to be, you need to be thinking about what is it I love to do? Go back to a time when you did some work where you lost all sense of time. You forgot to eat. That's how much you enjoyed doing what you were doing. That's the work you need to be doing. Find that work and you'll never have to work another day. Yeah. And I, I want to come back to this, this point you make because it could easily be lost. You right. said it is important to get paid. And and I agree with you. There is a difference right. between yeah. make work or you can <laughs> easily feel like you're doing something productive. And, and this also is a characteristic of this stereotype that we've been talking about here, the the lifestyle into which we can so notoriously fall in retirement is that we feel like we're being productive because we volunteer some to go down and 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 in my case number my friends will help at the church which is a good thing You're you right. know they'll help yeah. uh, pick up and do repair and, and they feel very productive but still it's part of this loss of identity it's yeah. a way that 
you, you, I, I don't want to criticize volunteering for things at all, but it still doesn't fix the thing that you're describing. And the nice you're thing about point, the nice thing about getting paid that that I think you were saying about getting paid is it means you're doing something of of measurable value. Correct, and, and it's it it really makes it difficult and to hang out. You're being acknowledged for it and recognized. You're being re- that's an important point. Yeah, you're being yeah. recognized. Which comes back to, to to your point, Joe. Which comes back to um, we have this um, uh, in the Christian faith. We've got this thing of you know love your neighbor as yourself, right? What we forget is is that that is an equation. If you don't love yourself, how can you love your neighbor? Very true. Right. Yeah. And my point is is that you know it's fine volunteering. But that doesn't stop you from getting a job or working at something that you know that you enjoy doing. Uh, you're serving people, and you're getting paid for. Yeah. And George, the other day when we spoke, you said something that made such an impression on me about fear, and I believe you, you mentioned something about a cave and courage. Can you please? Re- yes. Thank you, Jill. That's actually a really, really good one. It's one of my hot favorites. Joseph Campbell. Right. The American mythologist. He talked about, and he's the guy actually uh, who 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 came with the um, the hero's journey, which is another one of these transformational things. The hero's journey, uh, where the young man leaves the village, goes out, makes a killing, comes back, and he's he's now an adult in, in Asia and Africa, where he traveled in South America. That's what the sort of the, the village life was about, um, and that was moving from adolescence to adulthood. We need that new hero's journey moving from adulthood to um, elderhood because we're going through another transformation. So, but coming back to Jill's point, um, he, he uh, there's a saying which resonates very deeply with me. And the saying goes, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. I love that. I'll repeat that. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. And what, I, what that means is that, um, you know, we're not talking about bungee jumping or, you know, f- dropping from a helicopter, uh, or, you know, paragliding. We're not talking about dangerous sports here. We're talking about fears in the mind, which we created or were created for us. Negative to, self-talk. To protect us and which are now sabotaging us. So the cave you fear to enter is something that I help my clients go through is, you know, what is it you're afraid of? If you just go behind the veil of that fear, that's probably what you love to do. Hmm. But you were stopped and prevented from doing that for whatever reason, by parents, school, even yourself. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. So if you don't know what your purpose is, I guarantee you, you've got a cave to go in. And an interesting way to think about that is that uh, somebody may be thinking, well, yeah, but we can't say that any cave I would want to go in, Yeah, using this metaphor, any cave I'd want to go in would necessarily be good things. And, and but, but embedded in your point is the idea that, no, no, this is the cave that you keep circling back to, to stand outside and look at, the one mm-hmm. that you're thinking about because this fear wouldn't be pushing you right. with you unless you're still coming back to think about it. So it's almost self-identifying that this is this particular cave must be something that has drawn you 
that you're so conscious of this fear. So it, it may suggest that very thing that you want to do. Correct. Yeah. But also, and here's the here's the the thing, there's probably a cost, like all changes. You know, we're talking about if you're gonna create a new identity, you've got a new uh, a new work that you want to do, it might mean you having to go back to school to learn a little bit. And that's not a bad thing because in nature, you're either growing or dying. There's no in-between. There's no retiring, right? We said that before. I'll say it again because that's so important. Yeah. If we are growing, if we're learning, then we're making progress. The problem with retirement is you stop learning. If you stop learning, you stop growing. And if you stop growing, you're dying. That's why you need to learn. And there's nothing wrong, you know, um, you know, going back to school for a year, studying something to complement your existing skills, but that will take you into the new direction of the work you want to go to because you love what you do, but you just don't have the skill sets perhaps yet. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. But you've got to be open to this. And 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 people have this immediate reaction, the automatic reaction is, nah, I'm comfortable where I am. And to those people, I say, that Disney movie where the two moths are going to the flame and one says to the other, don't go, don't go. And the one that's going to the flame goes, I can't help it. (laughs) Zap. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I mean, that's that's the thing. You know, those who don't listen are going to go straight into the flame and they won't even know what hit them. Yeah. And, you know, it's so attractive to just sit down and... Oh, yeah. I mean, you get comfortable. Playing it safe. It's safe. And and the longer you sit, I think of those analogies of people who do mountain climbing. You know, they they say whatever you do, you know, you can't just sit down at upper altitudes. You know, if you just sit down, you're going to die because you won't want to get up. And you get comfortable. Right. And the longer you sit, the more comfortable you get. You quit being cold. And I can just imagine that. So the person's been pursuing a, a, a difficult career been working very hard, say it was stressful, and uh, and they retire. And I can see where they 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 could easily look back after 10 years and say, you know, those things I thought that I was going to do, that I said I was going to do, maybe some plans they had made, you know, they just found that, that stopping and sitting down, it was kind of nice. Yeah. And, and again, it's hard to stand in judgment of that. So I know some people will be watching who will think, no, I think it's okay to just stop and, and be happy. But, but our point here, I think we're saying is it's, it's, it's okay to, if, if that's your choice you make, but, but you'll never know what you, how there's so much more waiting for you in the balance of your life. Right. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you, Joe. Um, we can't judge those people. Uh, they've got their journey to go on. And if that's their journey, that's the way to go. You can take a horse to water. You can't force it to drink. True. Mm-hmm. Although I had a financial advisor who said to me, you put salt in it and it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, the, but, but, sorry. No, make your point. Let's, let's do this. This is actually, right. this is so interesting that this is longer than we had scheduled. So l- let me give you two minutes, kind of wrap up your, your sort of parting words of advice then mm-hmm. to people who are on the threshold of retirement. I would say to them, you don't want to be thinking this on your deathbed. Take time out and do it now. 
take courage, do it now. You, you might not have the luxury of waiting for a crisis to happen to help you out, although that's probably on the way. <laughs> I would say, yeah. you know, take courage, think, invest in yourself, because you've got another 30 years to go. And whatever savings you have, it ain't going to take you there. So that's the first point. The second point is your health's going to get damaged because loss of identity will impact you emotionally um, and mentally. Um, so all the exercise and good nutrition ain't going sa- to save you. And lastly, without purpose, you're just going to drift into oblivion. Hmm. Boy, what a, what a good wrap up. Love it. Uh, Thank you. Very good. Uh, marvelous information. Now, if people want to get more information, uh, you have a website. Is it simply your name? It's, yeah, georgegeorgian.com. But I tell you, George, marvelous, marvelous. A lot of wisdom there. I hope people uh, take it to heed. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate this interview. Thank you, Jill. Uh, it's always great talking to you guys. Take care. Thank you. This has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Till next time, take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.